If you have your Bibles, please open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And after we pray, I'm going to read the first 11 verses of Romans, even though that's not where we're going to be. But I just want to put what we're talking about in uh, a specific light for you guys to look at it through. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I just pray that we would have a hunger for it, Lord, that we would not take it for granted. The fact that we have sometimes five or six Bibles on the shelves at our home, Lord. Allow us to open it up, Lord, and, and to, to find out what your will is, to find out what you would have us, for, um, have us do, Lord. Just be with us, Lord. Meet us here. Open your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 6 says this. Verse 1, I'm, just be patient, I'm going to read about 10 verses. Just listen. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's flip back to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse 14. I'm going to pick some verses from the beginning of chapter 5 that we'll look at later on. But let's just look um, from verse 14 on to the end of the chapter. And he begins, Paul speaking to the Corinthian church, he says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Paul begins and says, Jesus died for all, then all died. What does that mean? We know, and we're right to think, Jesus died for our sins. But it's not just the sins that we commit. It's also our old nature. It's our old man that Paul spoke about in Romans 6. There's something more than just the sins we commit that Jesus died for. It's our old desires, our old thoughts, our old ways of living. He says, all died. So, Somehow, we died on the cross when Jesus died on the cross. Something we don't think about all the time. That means we are now dead to our rights because Jesus bought us with his blood on the cross. So when he says, all died, that's what he's saying. It's not just like some weird thing that he throws out there. We died to ourselves when Jesus died on the cross. So that's something we need to keep in mind. And he says, And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Because Jesus went to the cross and died, that's not like something, oh, thanks, Jesus, that's really cool. Thanks for letting me get to heaven. No. He expects something from us. He expects us to then live our lives for him because he gave his life for us. And you understand that when he died, we died with him. 
When we ba- get baptized, you go under the water. It's a, it's a symbol of us being baptized into his death. And then we're brought out of the water. We're baptized into new life. So when Jesus died on the cross, he put to death our old man. As Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. He doesn't say, my sins were crucified on the tree with Christ. He doesn't say, all the bad stuff I did is crucified with Christ. He said, I am. Paul. Paul is crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These verses, 2 Corinthians 5.15 and Galatians 2.20, are very similar in what Paul is saying. I don't live for my own desires anymore. I don't live for Paul. I live for Jesus. If Paul was living for Paul, he wouldn't be doing what he was doing. Because, especially if it was me, if I was getting stoned and whipped and beaten, then I, that wouldn't be living for myself. I had, I'd have to be crazy because that's not something that we desire to have happen to us, right? Hopefully. Paul was not, if Paul was living for Paul, he wouldn't be Paul. You understand? He'd still be Saul. He would not see Christ in the way that he sees him at this point, and he talks about it in the next verse. He says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. What Paul is saying is, he knew who Jesus was. He was a Pharisee. Either he was around when Jesus was on earth, or he was friends with or worked with the Pharisees that were around when Jesus was on earth. He knew who he was. He knew what his followers believed. He believed, as Saul, that he was guilty of death and that he was killed justly. So anybody who believes in him should then pay the same punishment. So he went and he killed the church. That was what Saul did. He says, I knew who he was. We, we knew Christ in the flesh. We knew that he was a man. But when Paul met him, or when Jesus, I should say, met Paul on the Damascus Road in Acts chapter 9, from that point on, when he became Paul, he saw Jesus in a completely different life. He didn't just know him or know about him. He knew him in the sense that he had an intimate relationship with him. We see throughout the scripture, Adam knew Eve, his wife, or this person knew this person. It speaks of intimacy. It's not just like, yeah, Jesus, he's a, he's a, he's a great teacher. Uh, you know, he's my savior, you know. I read about him in Sunday school. We did little flannel graphs of Jesus. It's not just knowing that Jesus is who he is. It's knowing inside. It's, it's, it's turning your head knowledge. And what I had, because I grew up in the church and had every answer to Sunday school questions, I had head knowledge. But it took me a long time to get that head knowledge back into my heart and realize who Jesus really was and what he was doing in me and allowing him to do that in me. So Paul says, we don't regard anybody according to the flesh. He's not looking at people to their, as their state, whatever. They're, he says in um, Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul said, I'm not looking at what you are. I'm looking at either who you are or who you can become in Christ. It's more about what's going on inside because he says later on, um, Galatians 6.15 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And I'm getting ahead of myself. So 
he says in verse 17, I'm sorry, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and we know this verse maybe by heart, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. A new creation. When Jesus comes into our life, and hopefully he has rocked your life in a way that you don't live for yourself anymore. But if not, listen up. When Jesus comes into our life, he doesn't take our heart and patch it back up. He doesn't take what was filthy and nasty and say, oh, I guess I got to clean this thing up so I can then dwell in it. No, Jesus takes it away and puts something clean there instead, something new. Jesus doesn't take what you're doing and the things that you're doing and say, okay, well, I'll fix this and this, and then you'll be a Christian. No, what it says here is that we are a new creation. Something happens, just like in Genesis 1, when it says God created the heavens and the earth. Bara is the word created. It's got the same, I know one's Greek and one's Hebrew, but it's got the same idea that something was created out of nothing. Jesus creates something in us. He doesn't fix something in us. You understand? If you truly are in Christ, there should be the process of new creation going on in your life. And what does that look like? It says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The things that we once desired should not be the things that we desire anymore. It shouldn't. And of course, we all are sinners and we have a sinful nature that we have to put to death daily. So that's a hard thing to be like, yeah, all my desires go out the window. It's only what Christ wants for me. That's a hard thing. But if you are truly a new creation, that's what it says. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Let me read a couple of verses for you. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We can't change our heart toward God. It's not like we're like, God, I fixed my heart up. It's all nice for you. Come and live inside. It's not like that. The heart is deceitful. It says in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So no matter what we're doing, whatever our actions say, God sees what the intent is behind it and the thought we were thinking when we were doing that thing. So you might be like, hey, what's up, man? And inside you're like, oh, that guy's so annoying. I hate that guy. I'm just being nice to him because he's got no friends. And then it makes me look better. Because everybody's like, wow, look how cool he is. He's talking to the guy who doesn't have any friends. But his intention was, I'm going to get pride on myself, and I'm going to get all this stuff for me. You understand? God sees that. He doesn't like, oh, wow, you, you, you helped that person. Good job. No, God's like, yeah, you helped that person, and you blessed them, but your heart was incorrect because you wanted it for your own glory. So when it says that the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? The heart is the issue in a lot of Christians' lives, or Christians' lives. People that say the name, but they don't behave like a little Christ, because that's what the word came from. It was actually what other people called them, uh, those little Christs running around Christians. And they're like, oh, I like that. I want to be a little Christ. So they kept it for themselves in Antioch. It's like somebody calling you a Jesus freak or something. Same thing. If you are claiming, and so, yeah, I'm a Christian, that means you're saying that you're a little Christ. Hopefully you look like him. Hopefully you are like him. Because if you're claiming to be a little Christ, you can't be making Jesus look bad with the way you're acting. And we'll get into that. Um, and he says, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. You guys remember the story of David and Bathsheba when he sinned. And when he repented of that sin, he wrote Psalm 51. And he said this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, 
and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart. He doesn't say, God, cleanse my heart. He doesn't say, clean, clean it up. Fix it. No, he says, create a clean heart. Because, God, I know that my heart is wicked. It's deceitful. It causes me to want things, even though my head knows that I shouldn't have them. He says, create in me a clean heart, because I can't do it on my own. Take whatever is in me out and put a clean heart, a heart that is after you, a heart that wants the things that you have. That's what we need to allow the Spirit to do to us. When we claim the name of Christ, it's a huge issue. It's not something that we could throw around lightly. We can't. Because what you're saying is that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. And if you're living your life in a way that he's not the Lord of your life, then you're speaking falsely. For you to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, that means you behave like a little Christ. And if some of the people in this room are saying that they're behaving like a little Christ, then Christ didn't act the way that I read about in the Bible. So we have to be careful that when we're saying we're in Christ, that the new creation is actually taking place, that we're allowing God to do what he wants to do in our life. It says in Ezekiel 36, 26, Jesus speaking to the children of Israel, a new heart also I will give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And listen to this. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. God takes away that stony heart, and he puts a heart of flesh in there, a heart that is no longer hardened, a heart that is moldable. A heart that is compassionate, a heart after God. A man after God's own heart is what David was. You guys understand? A new heart. It's not that God, and I'm going to say it again, it's not that he comes in and changes what we have. No, he takes away what we have, he puts it on the cross and crucifies it, and then he gives us something new. The thing that we do as Christians is we go up to the cross, and we're like, thanks Jesus, I'm going to hold on to these. Is that all right? I'm just going to keep them as souvenirs. Uh, I'm just going to take this sin that I'm committing and I'm going to hold on to it in my back pocket. So it's a constant reminder of what you did for me on the cross. And then what do we do? We continue in the sin, just like Paul said in Romans 6. We're like, oh, well, God's covered my, he's covered all my sins, you know. He says, do we continue in sin so his grace can abound? Certainly not. How Can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? If we are a new creation, we shouldn't be wanting the old things that have passed away. Every time we go back to our sinful lifestyle, it's like we're trying to take our old man, fix it back up, put clothes on it, put makeup on it to make it look alive, and and carry it around. You ever see Weekend at Bernie's? That's what we do when we continue in our sinful lifestyle. You guys understand? We're carrying around... Just deadness and old man grossness. And we're like living in it and we're like, you know, Jesus is my savior. I'm a Christian. I go to Calvary Christian Academy or wherever. And you're like, what, really? You're a Christian? I, I, I wouldn't have been able to tell. Because usually Christians have a new creation. There's something different about them. And he says, um, I said it earlier, Galatians 6.15, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything or is any, has any weight, but a new creation. 
Paul was speaking to the Galatians saying, yeah, it doesn't matter what your religiosity is. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile and you're like, oh, I'm a Jew, so I'm closer with God because you're a Gentile and you're filthy. It doesn't matter if you've been coming to church all your life. It doesn't matter if what you think is right, um, you're doing it and you're living a life that you think is okay. He says a new creation is all that avails anything. If you don't have that taking place, then nothing, you're not profiting anything. That's what he says. And the New Living Translation, I'm not one for it, but I like how it words this verse. It says, it doesn't make any difference now whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we really have been changed into a new and different people. A new and different people. When you accepted Jesus, did you allow him? Was it just fire insurance, like Joe Fogel always says? Was it just, yay, I'm not going to go to hell anymore? Or did you allow him to change you into a new and different person? If you haven't, let the Spirit do it. Let him take that stony heart out of your flesh. Put a heart of flesh in there. Let him create that clean heart in you so that you're not tempted and you're not drawn back to the old things that have passed away. A new creation. Verse 18, he says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be reconciled? Anybody? Raise your hand or whatever. Shout it out. Reconciled. Anybody? To bring back together again. Uh, yeah, it's close enough. Thanks. Um, <laughs> to be reconciled, like when somebody gets divorced, and I'm sure that a lot of people have had that in their families. I have. They cite, some people cite irreconcilable differences. Things cannot be repaired. Things that have been broken cannot be brought back and made whole again. It says that God reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, there was separation between God and man. When Jesus died on the cross, just like when the temple veil was torn in two, and you could then go into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, it was a symbol that that separation, that need for a high priest for the sacrificial lamb, there was no more need because Jesus broke it. He brought us back into fellowship with him. Reconciliation supposes a quarrel, a breach of friendship. Sin is the thing that has made that breach. It has broken the friendship between God and man. The heart of the sinner is filled with enmity against God. And you're like, well, you know, I always thought God was cool. I never disliked God when I wasn't saved or whatever. It says that we are at enmity with God before we're saved. We are enemies of him. It says that if you're not for God, you're against him. Something we don't like to think about. You know, I have this friend, you know, he's not a Christian, you know, but he likes God. If you're not for God and you're not with him, then you're against him. It's the way it is. So if you guys are living your life as someone who isn't for God, then you're against him. And he says, um, and God is justly offended with the sinner. I'm just reading a, a couple quotes here. The ministry of reconciliation. God has brought us back into favor with him by Jesus' death on the cross. Brought us back into favor with him. Bringing us back. Think about that. And the thing about God is, like I said before, he doesn't repair things and make them look like new. Jesus brings the thing that was broken back together. That vase or whatever. Just get a picture. When you break the handle off your mom's Mother's Day mug and you're like, oh no, oh no, oh no. And you're gluing it back together and like, how does it look? And the brother's just like, doesn't look like new. Oh no, I'll just, I'll hide it behind this mug. And then your mom's like, oh, it's Mother's Day. I love mommy mug. And she's like, what what happened here? 
You're like, oh man, that's not what Jesus does when he dies on the cross. You understand? He doesn't bring us back together hoping that no one will see that it was once broken. He creates it new again. He makes it so that you can't see the cracks. And when you break something, like your ankle or something, you know how it's weaker now? You hurt your ankles and you're more prone to sprain your ankle. George Zoflik, if you guys remember him. <laughs> guy's like the human ankle breaker. Um, but because he breaks his ankles, it's more prone to happen, right? Because our relationship with God was broken in the garden, that doesn't mean that it's now weaker. He brought it back so that there is no more cracks, so that it is completely intact. God doesn't like hand-me-down goods. He likes new things. And when you guys, your parents are like, hey, I got this shirt for you. Thrift store, what? That's not like you're like, I'm being like God for wanting new clothes all the time. No, that's not what I mean. (laughs) God doesn't like seconds from Satan, you understand? So he's like, man, that's filthy. I got to fix that so I can live in it. So he just gives you something completely new. Verse 19 says, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God was in Christ. God is love. Not that he has love or that he created love. No, God is love. And then he was in Christ. The love of God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, bringing the world back to himself after they were once separated, not imputing their trespasses to them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He's given to us That message, the fact that we have been brought back, that there has been peace made between God and man again. He's committed to us, it says. He's put it into our care, the word of reconciliation. That means that he wants us to take care of that. That doesn't mean, well, I'm not a pastor, so I can't talk about reconciliation at all or whatever. I don't even know what reconciliation really means. He's committed to us the word of reconciliation. You don't have to be a great speaker. You don't have to be whatever, an orator of some kind. You don't have to be taking public speaking class or whatever. He's given us the word of reconciliation so that we will take it to the unbelieving world. That you would tell people, hey, you know, sin separates you from God, but Jesus broke the power of sin and death, so then you can come back to God if you would submit your life to him and and make him Lord and Savior. Word of reconciliation. Now then... We are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors. An ambassador is someone who represents a sovereign or a leader to a, a certain group of people. Not that someone just goes and tells a message. We are called ambassadors for Christ. We are to represent God, not just to be like, yeah, God loves you, blah, blah, blah. No, we're supposed to represent the fact that God is love. God has shed his love and grace upon us. We're supposed to represent that. For you, you're like, your mom's like, hey, go call him for dinner. And you're like, Mustard, if you don't get your butt down right now, you're going to get in trouble. And, and she's like, well, I didn't say that, but thanks. Then your, bro- your little brother's running down the steps. He's like, oh, no, mom's mad, mom. You misrepresented what your mom said to your brother, so your mother thought he was mad at your mom. That's a lame analogy, but you guys understand what I'm saying? Your mom wasn't mad, but you acted as though she was. You misrepresented what she said. Moses in Numbers 20. You guys probably know this story. 
when they were in the wilderness, and I'll close in a couple minutes. Um, <laughs> when Moses was in the wilderness, and the people were crying out for water, and God told him, strike the rock. So he struck the rock, water flowed. The next time that happened, he said, hey, Moses, just speak to the rock. Moses like, stupid Israelites, man. I'm sick of their whining and complaining. He's like, you rebellious, la, 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 probably said some choice words, started smacking the rock. God was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I wasn't angry with them. You showed that I was because you're supposed to be pretty much the go-between. Like when they said, hey, you get the message from God and just bring it down to us. We don't want to see the presence of God or hear God anymore. You misrepresented them, misrepresented me to them. You can't lead them into the promised land. Hard stuff. We don't really think about the fact that, you know, Moses was a good guy. You misrepresented God, just that one mistake, right? How often in our lives, by the way we live, by the lifestyle that we lead among unbelievers, do we misrepresent God to them? Hey, man, you should, you should accept Jesus. Why? You know, because he's cool. He saves you from your sins. Well, I really have a problem with alcoholism. Oh, yeah? That stinks. Yeah, well, if you're saying he saves me from my sins or whatever, and he's going to make me new, then how come you're still like an alcoholic and you're still living your life however you want? Yo, God's cool. Me and God, we're awesome. And they're like, wait a minute. Like, don't tell me that I need something. You're saying you're better than me? Because you're doing the exact same stuff I'm doing. Why do I need this God you're talking about? That's a misrepresentation of God. For you to live your life as though there was no change, to live and continue to be a slave of sin, to be into your lusting and your pride and your whatever, (laughs) your drinking, your drugs, your rebellion, for you to continue in that, it's a misrepresentation of God. And we are called to be His representatives. You understand? If you guys are in this room and you're claiming the name of Christ, you need to be acting like Christ. Because there's an unbelieving world that is looking to us to find out why we have joy through pain, why we have hope through sorrow, why we have what we have. And if we don't show them that we have it, they're not going to want it. You understand? It's kind of confusing what I just said. We need, we desperately need to allow God to create us new because if we don't, we're of no use because he will get somebody else to be an ambassador for him. What a powerful tool this is, this school, these guys and girls in this room. If they would become a true representation of Christ, what would, what would be able to happen? What would we be capable of if everybody in this room submitted and said, God, create me new so I can be a just representation of you? What would happen? It's awesome to think about. You're like, yes, let's just do it. And then you don't. God, this is the retreat when I mean, I'm serious. I'm serious. It's really going to happen. And you get home and it, there's no change. This is the chapel, man. This music was so good. We have to allow him to become 
everything in our life, to be creating us new. And then I'll finish with the last verse. He says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. He took our sin and died because of it, so we could then abide in him. We could not be in Christ while being sinners because he is perfect, so he took the penalty of our sin. He then made us a new creation so he could live in us. And then we also in him. In verse 9 of chapter 5, it says this, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Well-pleasing. If you're living your life for Christ and not for yourselves, you will be well-pleasing to him. He says we make it our aim, our goal. We have tons of goals. I want to go to this college. I want to have this wife. I want to have these kids. I want to do this. And that's fine. But we make those the aim of our life. That's the thing we shoot for. We should be well-pleasing to God because if we are well-pleasing to God, then we are exactly where he wants us to be and all the other stuff falls in line. We make it our aim. When you are a new creation, you should not be living in your sin. Like Paul said in Romans 6, we can't live any longer because we've died to sin. Sure, we're still going to sin, but it should be that we're aiming at Christ and we miss the mark, and that's sin. Just like the word sin came from archery, you'd shoot at a target. If you miss, that's sin. That's what they would say. You missed the mark. It's not like you're shooting deliberately not at the target. You're aiming at Christ, and we still have a sin nature, so we're going to miss the mark sometimes. That's sin. That's the way it should be. Not that I'm saying we should sin, but that's the way sin, as a sinful, saved person, should look. It should be that we were aiming for Christ, and we missed the mark. It shouldn't be like, I'm just like, pfft, I thought the target was on the ceiling. <laughs> the fact that the new creation has taken place, that's what should it, it should look like. You understand? We should be aiming at Christ. You need to allow that new creation to take place. Allow the Spirit to come in. Allow Him to clear out the old things and to give you a new heart, a heart of flesh, like He said in Ezekiel. Like David said in Psalm, 1, uh, Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Let Him... Take your old stuff and throw it away. Don't be holding on to it. And allow him to give you what is new and what is fresh and what is vibrant and what is alive so that you can then be an ambassador, a just ambassador, a just representation of what Christ is to an unbelieving world. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I just thank you for the patience of these men and women, Lord, in this room. I just pray that if anything I said stuck, Lord, that it would just begin to just churn in their hearts and that your spirit would begin to change any hearts in here that are not right. And Lord, for the people that are aiming at you, Lord, I pray that you would just continue to bless them, continuing them on their walk, Lord. I just thank you for this opportunity to be able to share. I just pray that you bless their school day, Lord. Allow them to go into the rest of this week with you on their minds, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.